Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the bar as well as to the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm your host, Jordan Rich, and today I'm honored to speak with the new president of the Mass Bar Association, attorney Christopher Sullivan from the law firm of Robbins Kaplan in Boston. Now, I had the pleasure of attending the inaugural celebration for President Sullivan, an opening reception for members of the bar where Chris spoke, and I chatted with many, including MBA COO Marty Healy, about the coming year under Chris Sullivan's leadership. It's a celebration, really, of the Mass Bar Association and the legal community. We have all of our membership virtually represented here from every section council, attorneys that do all sorts of practice areas. But Chris is such a natural leader. We're thrilled to have him as the president, and you saw tonight yourself, the crowd that's here enjoying themselves and just getting together and mingling, but with a serious purpose. We've got a lot of serious work ahead of us in terms of the court funding issues, the criminal justice reform, and Chris Sullivan, you couldn't ask for a better person to be out there as a point person on rule of law issues. Also at the event, Denise Murphy, incoming vice president of the Bar Association, who reflected on Chris's term. If you had a moment and a chance to look at the the faces of everyone who was here, they actually became quite emotional. Chris has such passion, and he's sincere. And if you know anything about Chris's history, you'll understand that he's just not saying the words. He lives this passion. He loves the law. He loves our commitment. He loves our mission. He's going to be a great leader. And Chris Kenny, the MBA president-elect, had this to say about Chris and the upcoming year. I think the Mass Bar Association is poised to be a real leader in making sure that in these extraordinary times, the rule of law helps to govern our society. We recognize as members of the bar that we have a duty to work with members of the bench together as officers of the court to try to achieve administration of justice, that we're not really working in an adversary system so much um, as it seems, that we all should be rowing in the same direction to get the right result. And Chris's speech made it clear that's our obligation and our duty. And now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast the president of the Massachusetts Bar Association himself, Christopher Sullivan. Thank you so much. Your speech was heralded as a very inspiring one, and I know you probably spent a lot of time working on it. Uh, Let's reflect and review a little bit about that speech, and and really the main thrust of it is giving back and doing more for the community. In your words, again, uh, if you can bring us back to that night, what was that speech all about? I feel that lawyers have a responsibility to be more than just providing services or doing their job. I think part of their job is to give back to the community. And you see that in pro bono. Uh, The legal profession gives more back in terms of time and talent and dollars than just about any other profession. And that's an ethical obligation of lawyers. And I think that in addition to the work we do in pro bono, I think Attorneys need to be more involved in their communities. I think Mm -hmm. we have to be more a part of the public debate. I think that attorneys have a special role in our society, and we need to help educate the general public about the issues of the day and how sometimes court rulings aren't as simple as people think. Mm -hmm. Very often you'll see a decision come out that a, a judge makes And then you'll hear about it on talk radio or you read about it in the newspapers. And a lot of people have the misimpression that a judge is like all powerful and can do whatever they want to do. And it's 
they decide they want to go this way and they go that way. Well, that's not really the case at all. And in many of the cases, uh, judges' hands are tied and they really don't have discretion. In fact, that's one of the big things about uh, the push now for uh, criminal uh, justice reform. Uh, Judges, we have a lot of mandatory minimums that, in the opinion of a lot of people, are way too high. Uh, and judges really don't have discretion uh, in sentencing matters uh, the way that historically they have. Um, so there's a big move afoot on Beacon Hill to uh, overhaul the criminal justice system. So obviously, beyond just doing for the community and being of, of service, there's a lot of uh, material on your plate for the coming year representing the association, representing attorneys, but also the public. Tell us a little bit about some of the major legislative or structural issues that you see coming up. Well, I think number one is, as I just said, the criminal justice uh, reform. That That's a very big one. Uh, the other thing is, I think that there's a, a big push to increase the funding for civil legal aid. And that is something that a lot of people might think is not a good idea. But if you look at the economics of it, every dollar that you put into civil legal aid, you actually get two or three dollars back. Um, and this goes to people who uh, have assistance in, say, housing court. And by providing them with uh, access to an attorney, you can keep the people in the house. And if you think about it or, the, you know, their apartment, but if you think about it, what would happen if they were put out of the house? Well, a lot of them would be uh, homeless and mm. would need a great deal more services. Mm. So sometimes uh, doing the right thing is also doing the smart thing from a tax point of view and from a public spending point of view. In your inaugural speech, you referenced historical figures, including John Adams. And those of us who watched the HBO series religiously got a sense through drama what John Adams was like. But the impact of those who had so much to do about the formation of the law in this country before it was even a country. Talk about your relationship to John Adams in terms of what you referenced and why. Well, I think that John Adams stood up for the best uh, principles of the bar. Uh, the He was a true patriot. He was anti-British. And yet when the British soldiers uh, were accused of perpetrating the Boston Massacre, he stood up for them and represented them uh, in, a, in a court proceeding here in Massachusetts in Boston uh, before a very hostile uh, court and a hostile jury. And uh, they were acquitted. And I think that that is the, in the finest tradition of the bar. Um, a few short years later, he wound up signing the Declaration of Independence. So I think John Adams is a figure who stands for the fact that attorneys need to represent unpopular people and unpopular causes. Mm. And mm. if everyone has a right to speak, then the conversation will be a better, richer conversation than if we try and say, uh, I believe in free speech, but only for people who agree with me. Right. Seems as though almost every issue in the public square these days involves some context of law, how the law is going to be affected by or how the law will affect the issue. So when you reference the fact that uh, lawyers are in the middle of the pie, you're really hitting it right on because whether it's sports or 
uh, show business or even the weather. Look, <laughs> the weather problems down south. I mean, lawyers are needed to sort of bring the structure back into fold. Yeah, I think that uh, this government that we have was was basically designed by John Adams. Uh, he was the one who wrote the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights, which is our state constitution. And it was the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights that was the model that was used to create the United States Constitution. And lawyers played a very large role in, in politics back then. There were many, many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were lawyers. Uh, many of our greatest presidents were lawyers. Uh, today, uh, we do not have nearly as many lawyers involved in government as we did. Whether you look at the U.S. Uh, congressional delegations or you look at our state legislature here in Massachusetts, the number of lawyers holding positions as uh, representatives is dramatically down, mm -hmm. very, very dramatically down. And I think that that is not a healthy thing for our society because, as you point out, it is a very law-centric society. Law is how we govern ourselves. And uh, we have very, very basic principles. And sometimes those principles uh, actually conflict with one another. I, I think a good example of that is people who are advocating for freedom of religion and saying that they shouldn't be made to uh, uh, serve, let's say, a, a gay couple getting married and whether or not they're going to uh, – a florist has to sell them uh, flowers and, and, and uh, you know, take care of their wedding. And people say, well, on a religious basis, I should have the freedom of religion and I shouldn't have to do something that's against my religion. On the other hand, we have marriage equality and equal rights for everyone. And so the gay couple has a right to select the florist and have their order fulfilled. So there's there's tension there. And I think that we live in a in a society that is and a government that is based on law. And we're going to need a lot more lawyers to help straighten things out. You have obviously a lot to deal with in terms of the, the image and the overall presentation of the mass bar to the public. But let's talk about the attorneys, the members. For every listener to this podcast who's an attorney, who's a member, or thinking about being a member of the Bar Association, what is it that the Bar Association is going to offer them in the coming year or continue to offer them? Well, I think continue to offer is really a key. Uh, you know, I think that being an attorney is can be a very isolating job, especially if you're involved in doing litigation. And you find yourself, we have an adversary system. And so you find yourself in adversarial situations all the time. That's <laughs> part of your job. Indeed. Um, but I, I think it is hard to be always in an adversarial mode. Uh, and one of the things that the Bar Association allows for and pr promotes and encourages is interaction between lawyers and uh, seeing the lawyer uh, across the table from you, not as an adversary, but as a colleague, and knowing that they have a lot of the same issues in their practice that you have in yours. And I think it's very, very healthy when you have prosecutors sitting down with criminal defense attorneys. I think it's wonderful when you have plaintiff's lawyers who sit down with attorneys who represent insurance companies. I think that the interaction between those two groups 
uh, breaks down a lot of preconceived notions mm -hmm. and I think promotes better dialogue and actually gets better results than if we stay in our own little armed camps. And you are entering your term at a very auspicious time because of the technology. The fact yeah. is, you and I are talking here and people are listening to us anywhere on a podcast. And with the advent of technology, it makes that world of separation a little closer. It, it can, but it can also be very isolating. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's all in how we choose to use it. I think that people can find their own little niche of the world electronically or on the web where everyone agrees with everything that they say. And they're in sort of an echo chamber. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right, there are echo chambers all, and that really isn't healthy for our society. What we really need to have is a civil exchange of ideas, a civil uh, exchange of concepts and projects that people can debate. I think it's very, very uh, wrong from a structural per, uh, perspective to try and pass legislation without having adequate hearing, adequate public hearings. And mm -hmm. lately we've seen that in Washington on both sides. Uh, but what we really need is more public discourse, not less. And I think we have to be more respectful in our discourse and understand that the person sitting across from you might be somebody that you disagree with, but that doesn't mean that they aren't just as patriotic as you are mm -hmm. or that they aren't uh, uh, as in deep love of country uh, just the way you are. And so I think that we, we really need to learn how to disagree. The speech, I want to come back to that, sure. and I was honored to be there and meet a lot of interesting people, covered a lot of subjects, but afterwards, one of the comments I heard a few times was the need for more diversity in the bar and also in the leadership. Talk a little bit about that, about bringing more people together, more people from different stripes together. Well, that's that's a, a struggle that we have. Um, there are fewer people of color in law school today than there were 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and I don't think anybody's really sure why that is, but we are going to have a real pro problem if our justice system doesn't reflect the society uh, as a whole. The only reason that justice works and courts work in this country is because the people believe in them and the people trust that the courts will give them a fair shake. And I think it's important that the courts in terms of ethnicity and gender and a lot of other factors reflect the communities that they are serving. Is that something then that you can use your bully pulpit to try to encourage people? Is that one of your plans? Yes. We, as a matter of fact, uh, we are planning a um, session with uh, several diverse uh, judges uh, to talk about how we can increase the diversity of the uh, judicial branch of our mm -hmm. state government. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we get more candidates uh, of a diverse background? And I think that that lots of times people just don't have enough self confidence, and they say, "I'm not good enough," or "I'm you know nobody would want me to be a judge." And I think lots of times all it takes is some encouragement from an older member of the bar or a more senior member of the bar. 
and telling the younger person, you know what, you would make a terrific judge. You know, have you thought about it? And you just don't become a judge overnight. There's sort of a lot of things that you have to do to prepare yourself for it. You know, working as a prosecutor is is a good thing on your resume. Working as a defense lawyer, uh, maybe being involved in the bar association, uh, maybe taking a uh, you know running for political office. All of those things can can help uh, round out and and show the uh, judicial nominating commission or the governor that you know this person has a broad range of life experiences and would make a very good judge. And I think that as a young lawyer, if you're interested in becoming a judge, which is something that I've never been interested in, uh, but if you are interested in becoming a judge, there are certain things that you should be doing and certain career steps and uh, adopting mentors and seeking people out. And I think that the senior members of the bar need to do a better job of uh, seeking out the bright young people in our Mm -hmm. profession and uh, affirmatively soliciting them to think about their careers and think about uh, potentially serving on the bench. One of the things that we're very proud of that we've done in the last couple of years is we created this Massachusetts Bar Association Leadership uh, Academy. And the Leadership Academy is where we take lawyers that have three to 10 years experience as uh, up-and-coming people that have been recognized as potential leaders, leaders of the bar in the future, leaders in business, leaders in society. And we try and make the – it's a very competitive process to to be accepted into the program. We only take about 15 to 20 what we call fellows uh, each year. We're now in our second year. And we are – we try and make the fellows as diverse as possible and diverse in every sense of the word. We have – geographic diversity because we have lawyers from Springfield and Worcester and New Bedford, and we we are uh, ethnically diverse, very ethnically diverse. Um, we are gender uh, diverse. We're about 50-50 in terms of the students. The practice areas, we have people who work in the government. We have people who do civil work. We have people who work in large firms. We have people who work for corporations. We have small uh, firm people. We have solo practitioners. It's a very, mm-hmm. very good cross-section. And, you know, you asked me before about the the bar association. One of the benefits of being in a bar association is you get to meet lawyers in areas of the state and areas of practice that you would have never encountered mm-hmm. ever unless you did it through the bar exam- uh, association. And that can be very helpful because if, for example, you have a a family member or a client who needs a, a criminal defense lawyer in Springfield, um, you know, now I know people in Springfield that I can feel very good about referring. Uh, on the other hand, if, you know, we have an employment issue, I now know lawyers like Denise Murphy, our wonderful vice president, um, that does employment law. So the, it, it, I find that being in a bar association is nourishment for my professional soul. 
And I, I get that from speaking with the other lawyers that are at the events and also with the judges. I think very often lawyers are just in – see judges in the adversarial setting of a courtroom where the, a lawyer is advocating for the client and the judge is being very even-handed, listening to both sides and, and maybe pushing back on both sides. Um, and it's really nice to be able to – have interaction with uh, judges outside of the courtroom and on a, a broader set of topics than a specific individual case. You've been wonderful answering my intense questions about the Bar Association. Let's have a little fun. First of okay. all, I don't know how much fun it was at the time, but when the Supreme Court bars Chris Sullivan from uh, from appearing and wants to disbar him, uh, it's a little unnerving. It was an oops of the first magnitude. Uh, tell us about that. Well, I was uh, on trial down in Baltimore, and um, I got a call from uh, my office, and they said, you've got to read this email that we sent you. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I'm on trial. I I don't have time for anything. I, I've got to get ready for the next day. You need to read this one, though. And they said, you need to read this one. I said, <laughs> okay. So I read it, and I looked at it, and, you know, it's from the United States Supreme Court. It's addressed to me. The address is right. The name is right. Everything's right. And I open it up, and it says basically that uh, I have been suspended, immediately suspended from the practice of law before the United States Supreme Court. And that I have 45 days to tell them why I should not be permanently disbarred. Uh, that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at it and the, the reason that they gave is that uh, I had been disbarred in New York. Well, I am admitted to practice in New York, but I haven't been disbarred. And I kind of thought that if I was disbarred in New York, I'd probably know about it. Yeah, that would probably come up at yeah, some point. <laughs> at some point, I would have had some notice. So I looked at it, and uh, looking at some of the papers, it took me all of about uh, five minutes to figure out that they had the wrong. the wrong guy. I mean, if you look in the phone book in Boston, there are probably dozens and dozens of Chris Sullivan's. Oh, yeah. But then again, it's it's nice to see the big guys mess up once in a while. I'm glad. We're all human. And, and finally— uh, well, let me tell you one thing. Everybody oh. tells me I should I should frame that letter that I got. <laughs> I actually got a letter of uh, apology from the United States Supreme Court for having made the. And my everybody tells me I should frame it. My wife has told me I should burn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it's it's a mark of uh, distinction. And the the last question or comment has to do with you as a as a guy, uh, New Yorker, and also. In the service business now as an attorney, as the president of the Mass Bar Association, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that you are a, a, formerly a New York City cab driver. That's correct. And uh, there's a particular uh, image that we have of the cabbie, you know, kind of the hard scrabble, knows the streets, knows the, the lingo and all that. Kind of, but how did that how did that? Because I was a waiter when I was a kid, and that tra that changed my life forever in terms of hard work and organization. How did that affect you as a, as a, in a career later on as a lawyer, if at all? Well, uh, the thing that it taught me is people are people. And mm. even if they're from different ethnic backgrounds, uh, even if they're from different socioeconomic 
strata. People basically are people. And there are some really great people. There are a couple of jerks out there. But it's very interesting. I mean, I have uh, had celebrities get in my cab and people that I never thought I would ever meet. And they get in the cab in Manhattan and I can say I met so-and-so. Um, and then there were uh, just ordinary people and, of course, a lot of foreigners, too. And I think having to deal with all sorts of different people as a cab driver, you get to understand people a little bit better. Well, as a leader of any organization, too, you have to be not only out front, but you have to listen. You have to hear. And, uh, boy, if you're a cabbie, you're listening. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned very quickly as a cab driver that it's much better to listen than to try and talk. Well, uh, I'm just a small cog in this wheel, but on behalf of everyone in the association, I'll just say thank you for doing this, and thank you for your speech, and good luck to you and your team for an exciting upcoming term. Well, we got a lot of hard work ahead of us, but we're I think we're up to the task, and we're looking forward to it. My thanks to the new president of the Massachusetts Bar Association, Christopher Sullivan. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service by calling 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577 or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. I'm Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.